even with its crushing pace and its sometimes saccharine sentimentality, the month of December is poignant, almost wistful. Like the buttery, paper-thin layers of a croissant, every Christmas in living memory somehow stack right up on top of each other, creating that rich tapestry of beauty. Or like a metamorphic rock formed by heat and pressure deep within the earth, December pierces Christmas's past to form a tightly packed month full of meaning. The smells and bells of childhood intermingle with what was hard and holy just last Christmas. And so by the time we reach today, December 20th, barely 100 hours before Christmas Eve's candlelit silent night, it is impossible to separate what was and what is. Memory floats to the surface, and yesterdays and tomorrows intermingle. The Christmas season is packed with a spiritual depth that observably oscillates around every imaginable emotion, with joy and sorrow most poignantly close together like the lub-dub of every heartbeat. And that is true this year especially. We live in between. We hold the great sorrow of a thousand losses while we simultaneously hold rich surprise and joy and gratitude. First, the gratitude of seeing this year come to an end, but also of looking back to find the veins of change that were or maybe yet still will become a reason to give thanks. And because this year has been such a paradox, full of tension and promise, worry and hope, Bill and Joe and I have pre been preaching this sermon series on Advent practices for the shortest days and the darkest nights. We needed a container, a way to hold these dynamic, fluctuating December sensations, a place where we could set down and pick back up all that is unnameable about this season of Christmas and about this year. So it's no surprise that we found comfort in Jan Richardson's essay about traversing the luminous darkness. What do you think about that? The luminous darkness, what an ultimate paradox, a darkness that sheds light. When Jan Richardson's husband Gary died unexpectedly one December, her grief was forever tethered to these dark, sacred days right before Christmas. And so this season came for, became for her that luminous darkness. And here is her advice to us. When the darkness gathers round, first, find a friend. Second, sing a song. Third, get some sleep. Fourth, look to the night sky. Fifth, tend to what is fragile. And sixth, when darkness gathers round, wonder and remember. So today, we let Mary take the stage for directions on remembering and wondering. Our scripture passage is very short, and while it is part of this season's most classic and familiar text, with that intimacy of the shepherds and 
the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Mary's sense of wonder zooms out beyond the Christmas story to that long arch of God's love. So listen to the short but dense passage from Scripture. Luke chapter 2, verse 19. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. Please pray with me. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What is wonder? First, wonder is our response to the visible world. When you wonder at awe, at a rainbow, your wonder is there primarily in the moment, but your wonder arches back to long before that rainbow appeared, back to when the storm felt like it would never end, back to when your umbrella turned inside out, back to when your windshield wipers wouldn't swish fast enough, back to when the puddle was just that much deeper than you thought it would be, and now your socks are soaked and you're shivering from the cold. So wonder is now in this moment, and it arches us back to our ancient or maybe not so ancient past. When you wonder at awe at a monarch butterfly as her wings fold in and out, our wonder actually began longer ago than that, back when, for the first time, you came across a fallen monarch and touched her wing, how fragile and paper-thin, and maybe how you had just read the Times piece about how deeply endangered the California monarchs are, and how your neighbors planted milkweed as a sign of hope and monarch salvation. So when we feel that sense of wonder at this Christmas time, it arches us back to that long and storied past where God has long been present. Second, wonder is antithetical to fear. It pushes away the darkness somehow and presses us to lift our eyes to the mountains, remembering from whence our help shall come. But wonder is not disconnected from the real-life suffering of today. Wonder is not some pie-in-the-sky escapist orientation to the world, but a dear God, let us recognize hope when we see it orientation to the world. For glimmers of hope energize and mobilize us to attend to the suffering today for the sake of God's justice and peace that is possible here today. When we, as Christians, stand in wonder at our life, we pinpoint the now while simultaneously seeing that long view. And so, while months ago none of us would have posted on Instagram photos of us getting vaccines, this week those same photos of vaccinations that in 2019 may have felt commonplace give us a sense of awe and wonder when we see Dr. Bennett getting her COVID vaccine, we see God's wonder and awe, and we are grateful. And that's because our wonder stands in stark contrast to months of suffering and worry and fear, in stark contrast to weeks, 
this week's recent mile marker of 300,000 deaths in the United States. Our wonder is rooted in the near miracle of scientific collaboration in a matter of months, in stark contrast to the years it took to make a polio vaccine, and in stark contrast to the suffering of people in ages past when there was no relief from pandemic illness. Wonder is antithetical to fear because it pushes us to decrease our anxieties. It calms our heart rate. It allows us to breathe. It shows us that there is hope in this world. And third, wonder is an awakening, an opening of one's eyes to see the world anew. So it is no wonder that Mary is overcome with wonder when she sees those shepherds approaching the manger. Her eyes are opened anew to the world, and she sees again with great clarity the God of justice and peace, who will turn the powers and principalities on their head, making way for the lowly to be lifted up and the hungry to be fed. So your homework for today is to go read Luke chapter 2, maybe chapter 1 as well. It shouldn't take long. In Luke chapter 2, we meet the shepherds, those marginalized, religiously unclean outsider characters who are so untrustworthy, lawyers get this, that they were not allowed in ancient Near Eastern times to testify in court. The shepherds are out in their field by night, and they fall over in fear when the angels appear to them. But their fear changes to wonder. For the angels have great news, good news, of great joy. And it is no accident that we hear the term good news here. To us, it might seem innocuous. The phrase good news is so common in our culture associated with this season of Christmas. But that phrase good news was typically plastered across the front page of the ancient Roman newspapers with reports from the battlefield, not the shepherd's field. Caesar Augustus was typically the one who reported the good news, straight from his Twitter feed, if not by word of mouth. And the Roman armies brought good news of battles won and far-off vi villages conquered. So good news was not some throwaway designation, but a real-life reference to the political and military happenings in the Roman-occupied Middle East. Here we have Mary, exhausted from labor, adrift in a sea of motherhood, tending to her firstborn son, far from the comforts of home, and enter the shepherds. Unreliable narrators who confirm and uphold the message that Mary herself heard from the angel mere months ago when she learned that she was pregnant under the most unusual of circumstances. And if it seems as if the Christmas story carries that fairy tale tone, let us not forget that in fact it aches with the reality of politicians and institutions and economies and places on an actual map. Mary is in Bethlehem for the census, a town so real that I hardly need to describe it, so many of you have been there yourselves. No surprise. This year, Bethlehem is not packed to the gills with Christmas tourists as it typically is. 
In fact, it has fewer visitors than even the most violent years of the Second Intifada in the 80s and 90s. Hotels that typically enjoy employing 100 people or more in December this year are empty except their bare-bone three or four people on staff who go in to check to make sure the pipes haven't burst and the lights still turn on. Restaurants in Bethlehem that typically serve 800 eggs a day bought from nearby farmers have no visitors to feed. The term no room in the inn has been turned on its head. Bethlehem is a very real city with very real troubles. And so Mary's presence there in the city of Bethlehem would have caused her to wonder, would have caused her to remember the sacred history of that city. Bethlehem is the ancient city of matriarch Rachel's tomb. It is the setting of salvation for the book of Ruth. It is the city where King David ascended the throne, unlikely shepherd boy that he was. But Bethlehem is not an untested or fragile city. It has witnessed the shaping of God's sacred story across hundreds of generations. The durability of Bethlehem is a song as old as time. Mary herself may be changed by her current moment, chained to a mere moment in time, but there in the stable of Bethlehem, she remembers and stands in wonder at the long history of God's salvation that confronts the same powers that be and identifies with the poor like her, hungry and oppressed. God does the same for us this year. Mary begins there in Bethlehem to wonder at the good news, wondering the ways in which she might rise up in the footsteps of her unambiguously brave namesake, Miriam. Because, of course, Mary comes from Miriam. Miriam, who stood up to the Pharaoh. Miriam, who sang resistance songs. Miriam, who sought justice for those living under the thumb of an unjust slave driver. The visit from the shepherds awakens in Mary that vision and connects her to her own resistance song, a song of hope that she sang just verses prior in chapter 1 when she herself said yes to the God who chose her to carry the Christ child. So let us be like Mary. Let us wonder and remember. Let us let today connect us to that long and storied past of our God of salvation. When the darkness and light oscillate like binary stars around one another, suffering and joy, despair and hope, pain and promise spin around each other, and we need God's strength, let us have courage. Let us seek God in community to buoy us up. Let us be driven to wonder and remember. Let us walk unambiguously brave into the treasure house of memory this season, a wash in wonder. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.